Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, we're starting a new series tonight. We're starting Christ in Revelation. This is going to be our, be our first week uh, with this series. So I am, uh, I'm kind of excited about this one. This ought to be a lot of fun. There I see some people uh, popping in now. There's Joe. Hi, Joe. Thank you for being the first one that I see on the feed. Good to know there's somebody out there tonight. I see we've got seven eyeballs now, so that's always a good thing. That's awesome. If you're there, give us a like. Give us a hi, a shout out. Let us know that you're there tonight. So Christ in Revelation. This is where we're going to launch um, tonight. Let me, I don't have any announcements or anything I need to throw you guys away, I don't think. So let me pray. And then we're just going to go ahead and jump right into this. Pray with me tonight if you would. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for being such a great God. I pray tonight, Lord, as we just dive into your word, into the book of Revelation and into Christ, into Revelation. God, tonight that you would guide us, direct us, help us, Lord, to hear your voice in all that we study tonight, all we learn together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's jump into it. So we're going to start tonight in chapter one uh, of Revelation. We're going to work our way through, actually, we're going to work our way through a whole bunch of the book of Revelation tonight, but we're going to hit like just some real top up high elevation kind of stuff. And uh, then we're going to come back if we have the time tonight in in this short little session. We're going to come back and we're going to dig into uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And then next week we'll jump into chapter 2 and so on and so forth. So let's start with this tonight. And, and let me ask you a question, and I don't know if I can get feedback in time or not tonight to really be able to uh, respond to it, but I would like you to think about it, and I would like you to even throw out a comment if you would tonight. What is the central theme of Revelation? Just, just off the top of your head, um, if you were gonna, if somebody was going to, if somebody asked you that question, you were trying to explain to somebody what is the central theme, the central uh, purpose, the central idea in Revelation. What is that going to be? And I think I know where you'll probably go with this, but but I'm I'm kind of curious. So I, if you if you get an answer, if you have an answer, uh, throw it out there for us. I see we've got a few more people have jumped on. Ruthie's there. Debbie Lawless is with us tonight, and uh, I see somebody new. I think Nanda. I'm not sure if I'm saying your name right or not. If not, forgive me. Good to have you with us tonight. I see Scott is on there, and Scott has given us an answer. So. Let me pull this over here and let you guys see this. The full manifestation of the victory of Jesus Christ, or the victory of Jesus. Um, that's pretty deep, Scott. That, that's actually that's a good answer. That is a pretty, uh, pretty uh, intense answer. The full manifestation, the full, um, uh, the full vision understanding of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's good. Anybody? Yeah, Cheryl, Scott is a know-it-all. Probably not. He just gave it some thought. Ha ha, that's good. Anybody else have a thought tonight? If you were going to be asked, what is the central theme? Let me let me switch the question up a little bit because I'd really like to get some feedback from you guys on this. Um, if you ask the average man on the street, okay, the man in the church on the street kind of thing, what do you think they would say? What would they throw out there? What is the central theme of Revelation? What what are most people going to go with? Um, you got any thoughts? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that answer that I think is what at least I thought like 90% of people would would throw at me. There you go, Joe Colborn. You got it, man. You nailed the man on the street. I think this is what most people would would say. End times, or the end of the world, or the apocalypse, 
or if you ask truly the man on the street, not the man in the church necessarily, but the, the Christian, non-Christian, whatever on the street, um, they would talk about the, maybe the beast, 666. Everybody knows 666 and those kind of things. Uh, Debbie threw out, in times, Ruthie's given us apocalyptic prophecy. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of those things are the kind of things you would hear. Apocalyptic prophecy, maybe those words wouldn't get used, but people would certainly be about that. Well, let me, um, l- let me give you a little different perspective on the central theme of Revelation. Maybe not too far off of where Scotty was, but what the average person on the street would say. And before I do that, or to lead into that, let me talk about the uniqueness of the book of Revelation, okay? It's unique in that it is three kinds of literature. Now, most of the time when we talk about the Bible, we talk about a genre or a type of literature. So the Gospels are that. They're, they're unique. They are the Gospels. That is their literature type. We talk about Paul's writings, uh, their, their epistles, their letters in, in large part. We talk about James, the latter epistles, uh, their letters. Their letters were, that were written to the church. You can go into the Old Testament. You can talk about prophecies or prophetic books in the Old Testament. Well, we talk about apocalyptic literature. Those of you that were with me back in Daniel remember us talking about that. Well, Revelation is unique in that it is three kinds of literature all wrapped up in one. So Revelation is apocalyptic, it's prophetic, and it is also an epistle or a letter. So all three of those characteristics actually show up in this letter, which makes it very unique um, as far as the Bible goes. Now, one of the things you can garner, you can gain from understanding that is you can look at it as a letter or an epistle. And one of the things you find in every letter that's written, and I know people almost don't even hardly ever write letters today, um, to the point that they've actually become popular because if you get one, it's so weird, so unusual, it means something special. But one of the things that you would find in a letter, especially a letter written on a topic or a subject, would be in the very first paragraph, oftentimes in the very first couple sentences, you're going to tell what the purpose of the letter is. Well, it's no different in the Bible. When Paul writes his letter to the epistles, when John writes this letter, this epistle, to the, ch- the seven churches uh, in, in, uh, in, in the, the Bible in Asia... Uh, he tells us very early on what the topic is. And this is what I want you to see tonight, the central theme. We get it in verse 1, the very first words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, most people would look at that and say, okay, great, I was right. It's about the things that must soon take place. But I beg to differ with you a little bit. I think it is actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the theme. That is the topic. And let me show you what I mean tonight. And we're going to use this as we start this study. It helps to understand revelation. What does the word revelation mean? Look at it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And we think, I don't know, variety of things. But revelation in its original Greek is apocalypse. That's where we get that word from. And it means an uncovering or a revealing. It's an uncovering or a revealing. So John is saying in those that very first sentence, he's giving us the central theme. This is the uncovering or the revealing of Jesus Christ for the purpose of seeing the things that are soon to come. So I would suggest to you that the theme of the Revelation is the uncovering or the revealing of Jesus Christ in his, um, in his fullness, in his completeness, in who he is. And by understanding who Jesus is in Revelation, then we begin to see the things that are about to take place. Now, let me ask you a second question. What are the purposes of Revelation? And we're going to look at these two questions together tonight. 
what is the central theme, and what are the purposes of Revelation? You say, Pastor Perry, what do you mean, what are the purposes? Are there is there more than one purpose? Well, I, I think there are. I think there's a few that we could look at tonight, and, and let's do this. Let's just start with this one, and, and let me show you some scripture, and this is where we're going to work through the entirety of Revelation, just a chapter here, a chapter there, to show you these things. I want you to see how Jesus is in, is, is central in all that I'm going to talk about, but I also want you to see, see these, these purposes, and the first purpose I would suggest for John writing Revelation for God uh, having John write this revelation is it's an encouragement. Now listen, you all may be thinking, Pastor Barry, I never have really thought about revelation as an encouragement. As a matter of fact, and, and, and I just know this from experience and from being a Christian, being in the church a long time, most of the time revelation isn't taught as an encouragement. It's usually taught uh, oh, there may be an encouraging component, but let's be honest. Most of the time when we're talking about the three horsemen, we're, when we're talking about the seven seals, when we're talking about the mark of the beast and the Antichrist, it doesn't come across feeling like encouragement. It comes across feeling like, oh my goodness, that's scary stuff, right? I, I mean, is that fair? I, I think that's a fair assessment. If you guys agree with me, give me a thumbs up. I'd like, I'd like to hear your feedback tonight on this. It's an encouragement, and, and let me show you a little bit of this. Let's just look at a few passages. Uh, this is chapter 5. Okay, We're going to jump all the way over to chapter 5, and this is kind of the area usually when we preach. A lot of times when we're going to preach end times, this is where we'll jump in at. The sealed scrolls, or the sealed scroll. So the scrolls being opened up is where you get the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Now, I, I got ahead of myself. This is actually the prior chapter to the horseman. That's chapter 6. This is, this is John now in the throne room, and he's looking at the scroll that shows the end time events and shows the horseman and, and is going to give all those details. And, I, and so look at what's happening. He can't open it. Nobody can open it because it has seven, if you can picture seven seals, uh, uh, like uh, not rubber, but like a wax seal across this scroll. If you can picture that in your mind tonight, seven of them, and it can't be opened. Nobody can open it. And John looks at that and it says this in verse three, and I want you to see this. This is where the encouragement piece of this comes in. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I begin to weep loudly. Now think about that with me for a second. John is having this vision. I don't know if you guys have ever had a dream. Have you ever had a dream that was so powerful, so real, that it actually caused you to break down and cry? I mean, that's an intense dream. Now this isn't a dream. This is a vision. But similarly, John is having a profound experience here. And he sees this and it touches him so deeply that he begins to weep. Why? Because he can't open the scroll to see what's in it. Now I, again, I got to be honest. If, if I'm most people and I'm looking and I, I know what's coming, in that scroll, I would be celebrating. This scroll isn't going to be opened. But John is weeping because nobody can open it. And, and so where does the encouragement come in? Let's keep reading a little bit. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now I want you to see two things here. First of all, notice who's in the center of this. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Jesus, in, in chapter 5, Jesus is in the center. Just like I said at the theme of the whole book, Jesus is in the center. And he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And here's the encouragement, okay? For those that have nothing to, to, to look forward to but the judgment of God, 
Um, okay, it's probably not an encouragement, but for those that are walking in covenant relationship with Jesus or with God through Jesus, this is an encouragement. Because as we read through the entirety of the epistle, the letter, the prophecy, the, the apocalypse, as we read through the entirety of this thing, we see all along the way a, a few things. God is in control. That's encouraging. God always takes care of his church, his people. That's encouraging. In the end, God will, will rule justly. That's encouraging. In the end, Satan and those that choose to follow evil are cast down and they pay a price for their evil. That's encouraging. In the end, those that have followed after God, that have followed after Christ, they are going to end up being blessed and they're going to spend eternity with him uh, in a wonderful, uh, uh, just call it a realm of existence and in heaven and the new earth and the new heaven, the new earth. And that's encouraging. Okay. So revelation, part of the reason for revelation, even though it's got a lot of scary stuff in it, it is to be as an encouragement. It's an encouragement. Look, look at this with me. Chapter seven, uh, verse 17. This is the place where the great multitude of martyrs are described. This is chapter seven of revelation. And even here, I want you to see two things. I want you to see the encouragement and I want you to see who's in the center. It starts out in verse 17. For the Lamb, Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, we aren't going through, have not gone through, especially in America, we've not gone through anything like so many Christians across time and across the world and even around the world now are going through, where many are, are literally, literally giving their lives, being martyred, for, the, for, for their choice to follow after Jesus. But it doesn't matter whether you've gone through that or, or something less. Each and every one of us, we deal with the reality of it costs us something to follow Jesus, and sometimes it costs us um, a, a lot. And there is encouragement in this to know that, be it the martyrs or be it those that are just struggling and going through hard stuff or the enemy coming at them, in the end, the lamb will be in the midst of the throne and he will be the martyr shepherd, but he will also be our shepherd. And he will guide them and us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, there is encouragement. And, and I'm not going to be the preacher, the pastor, the, 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 the teacher that stands and tells you, you know what, just give your life to Jesus. Follow Jesus. It'll be great. You'll never have any troubles. You'll never have any problems. Just do it right. Put that faith out there and, and, and all is going to be wonderful. It is a, there will be tribulation. There will be trial. There will be challenges. There will be moments of weakness. There will be moments of failure. There will be all of those things. But in the end, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes for those that hold on to the end. That, my friend, is encouragement. That's encouragement. And that's part of what we get out of Revelation. Let's look at one more place. In Revelation 20, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says this, They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Look, everybody almost looks forward to retirement. I've talked about this a time or two. Um, the ultimate retirement is going to be eternity, right? Um, and as we come to the end of this age, as we approach the end times, the last days, the return of Christ, however you choose to phrase that or want to phrase that or want to look at that tonight, uh, we are going to hit a stretch that's going to be a thousand years. And in that thousand years, that millennial reign, we call it, um, we will, those of us that are following Christ, they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Can you imagine a thousand years on this earth where evil is kept out of this world, 
where honesty is is the only option in this world, where Christ rules justly and rightly. Can you imagine a thousand years where death is going to be cast away, cast down? I, I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging. And then to know that when that's over, you're going. Satan himself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And then what we have to look forward to, that's just the warm-up after the thousand years. Then we truly step into eternity where Christ reigns forever. That, my friends, is encouragement. So what is Revelation for? What's the purpose? It's encouragement. And I want you to see, continue to look at this, continue to notice this. Who's in the center of all this? They will reign with who? They will reign with Christ. Jesus is the center of of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation, the prophecy of Revelation, the apocalypse of Revelation, and its purpose, one of its purposes, is encouragement. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. We find that in Revelation 22, after the millennial reign. It is a place of encouragement. It's an encouragement. What is the purpose of this this letter, this book, this prophecy? Here's a second purpose, and this is probably the one we're more familiar with. It is also a warning. It's a warning to not align with the powers of this age. And I just want to look at a few places where this pops up. Chapter 6, this is where the uh, horsemen of the apocalypse pop up. This is where usually we jump in when we're preaching end times many times. Um, this is where we often start. And you read through all the, the six seals that will be opened and the, the horrible things that will be poured out upon earth. Um, many of them will be the wrath of God because people have rebelled and refused and refused and refused. And finally, he has to bring justice, which is to say bring judgment. And we see this in verse 15. Then this is the way uh, the sixth seal ends. Then everyone hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who's in the center? Jesus, the Lamb. And, and here is the, the second purpose of Revelation. It's a warning. Do not align yourself, e even when things look good, even when it doesn't seem like Jesus is really coming tomorrow, even when it makes sense, even, even when the world is pressuring you and pushing you, even when culture says you need to live your life our way, this is the right way. Do not align yourself with the ways of this world. Do not align yourself with the world of this age, with the powers of this age. Do not do it. It's a warning. It's a warning to the people of God. We see that in chapter 6. Let's look a little further. We look at chapter 19 tonight. This is a little further over. This is um, just before that millennial reign I talked about a moment ago. In verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. This is, this is that final judgment coming. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. In righteousness. You understand what that is? Righteousness. In righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus is a just ruler. It is a just war. It is, it is just. It, it is God in control. But I want you to see who's in the center. The one that is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. This is a warning. It, it is an encouragement, but it is also a warning. And, and listen, Christian, those of you that are a part of our church, those of you that may be just on the feet, please guard your heart, guard your mind, guard your lifestyle, guard your choices. Do not allow yourself to be drawn into aligning with the powers of this world or the ways of this world and this culture. It, it never ends well. It, it never ends well, and ultimately, the ultimate ending is going to be worse than what we can imagine. It is, it, it is a warning. Let's look at chapter 22. He says this, Jesus is coming. Behold, he says, and, and he said this 2,000 years ago. 
So how much closer are we today? Behold, I am coming soon to repay each one for what he has done. If, if, you're, if you're living your life in a relationship, in a covenant relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ, if you're doing everything, sincerely doing everything in your power, in your heart, in your ability to live in a way that pleases, honors, and respects God, then you know what? You're going to repay each one for what he has done. You're going to rep- you're going to repay for that. Okay, you're going to be repaid for that. If you sow good, you you reap good. If you sow evil, you reap evil. It's a principle. Okay, so in that way, this verse is an encouragement for those that are doing everything they can to walk with God. But for those that are playing fast and loose in their relationship with God, it's a warning. Behold, I'm coming soon to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. A warning, do not align with the powers of this age. We're looking at Christ and Revelation tonight. Christ and Revelation. And and the theme of Revelation is this. It's the revelation. It's the revealing, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. Jesus as the ultimate ruler in the millennial. Jesus as the judge. Jesus as the coming king who will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah in chapter 20. We're looking at Jesus who stands in the middle as a shepherd to those that have been martyred and wipes away every tear. We're looking at Jesus. Jesus, who was the one, because of his sacrifice, was able to break the seal. We're looking at Revelation and realizing Jesus is the theme, the revelation, the understanding of Jesus and who he is in his fullness. It, 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 is, it, it is all of those things. It, it is an encouragement, but it is also a warning. Do not align with the powers of this age. Let me give you one third and last thing tonight that we can find and we can pull from Revelation it is inspiration to worship, inspiration to give honor and glory to God, inspiration to realize and let it well up within our soul who God is, who Jesus is. It's an inspiration to worship. And let me just throw a, a few verses, a few chapters and verses at you here tonight to, to show you this. Revelation 21. Now we're moving into the very end of the book. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Who's in the center? God and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is who? Who's the light in the city? It's the Lamb. Who's in the center? Jesus is in the center. If we if we can read that and not be encouraged to worship the one we call God, worship Jesus, then, then we're missing something. We really are missing something. Look at another passage here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Who's in the center? The Lamb's in the center. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will, be, will worship him. It's an encouragement to worship tonight. It's inspiration to worship. What's the purpose of this book? It's encouragement. It's a challenge. It's a warning. Don't align yourself with the powers of this world. And it's inspiration to worship. And all those things, in all those ways, Jesus stands in the center. Now let's do this tonight. We've got about nine more minutes. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 1 and let's look at these these ideas a little bit through these first 20 verses of chapter 1. And we're not going to hit them all. I want to hit a few highlights tonight uh, so we can finish up here in about nine minutes or so. So if you guys will hang with me, you guys still out there? Um, If you are, give me a thumbs up. Let me see that we got a few people hanging on. Uh, I see about 15 uh, eyeballs right now. So we got about 15 different 
sites that are on, hopefully 16, and maybe um, I'm assuming probably two or three people in each of those locations sometimes, which is awesome. There's some thumbs up. All right, you guys are still with me. You, you good with me going on through this? Just a little bit longer, another another few minutes? All right, awesome. Let's dig into this. We, we find, and let me just give you some uh, historical stuff um, to, to, to kind of set us up for where we're going uh, next week and as we get into the next few weeks and sessions of this, this series. John, th this is the way it opens. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And I've got a map there. I wanted you guys just to have a chance to see and realize these literally were real churches. These were real cities, real churches in, uh, it says Asia, but for us today, this is the area of Turkey. And you can see, don't see them laid out there. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And in coming weeks, we'll look at the letters that were sent and the messages sent specifically to those churches. He goes on and he says this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Remember, this is a letter. This is an epistle, okay, as well as the other kinds of, of genre. Um, John is telling them up front, hey, this is who this letter is from. It's from John to the seven churches, but it's also from uh, from him who is and who was and who is to come. It's from Jesus, and it's from the seven spirits. And sometimes this idea of seven spirits throws us a little bit. You, you, Pastor Barry, what, what does that mean? Are, the, are you telling me there were seven angels, seven spirits? Seven, what, what does that mean? Well, the idea of seven is, seven is biblically often considered, it, it, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect number. In seven days, God completely made the entirety of the universe and he rested. Okay, seven is often attributed to perfection or fullness, maybe would be a better way to say it. So when, he, when we, talk, we see John talking about the seven spirits, it's, remember this is apocalyptic, this, so there is symbolism and metaphor and a lot of those things in there. It's his symbolic way of saying the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So this letter is from John, it's from the one who sits on the throne, and it's from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, who is before the throne and from Jesus Christ. So we see that it's from all of those things. I don't want that seven spirits to throw you tonight. I, I want you to I want you to see this. This is kind of neat and this is kind of a geeky thing. So if you don't really care, you can um, you can just smile and give me a thumbs up and make me feel good. But I just think this is really cool. There is a technique when it comes to writing, and you see it a lot in the Old Testament, a lot in Psalms and Proverbs and the poetic books, uh, a lot throughout Scripture. It's called an inclusio. And all, all you need to, you don't need to remember that word. All you really need to remember is bookmarks or, or bookends. There are times when you read scripture where a phrase will be said and there there'll be a set of verses and passages or, or some truth will be given. And then the same phrase or the same concept, um, often almost the same wording will be given again. And what that does for you is it says, okay, the stuff in the middle is really important. Uh, the stuff in the middle is being highlighted. The author put that together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the way he did for a reason, and, and that those bookends kind of highlight something. And this is what I want you to see when it comes to this book of Revelation. We see in Revelation 1, 7, and 8, so this is the very beginning of the letter, okay? Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. So normally you would look down a few verses 
verses and see, hey, is that repeated? Or you might look down a chapter and say, hey, is that repeated? Or you might look a little later on in the book and say, hey, is that repeated? Because if it is, then you know that kind of all that stuff in the middle is grouped together and works together and ties together, and it's really important. But this is what I want you to see, okay? In the book of Revelation, we have that inclusio. It pops up not in the next verse, the next few verses, the next chapters. It actually pops up all the way over in chapter 22, the very end of the book. Everything squeezed between is really important. Everything squeezed between uh, hangs together and works together. Whether you're talking about the seven churches and the letters to them in chapters 2 and 3, or whether you're talking about the throne room scene in 4 and 5, or whether you're talking about the seven years of tribulation in 6 and, and 7 and on through, or whether you're talking about the return of Christ in chapter 19, or you're talking about the millennial reign in chapter 20, or you're talking about the new heavens and the new earth in 21, it all hangs together. It all becomes very important because in chapter 22, this is what we read. Here is the book in behold i'm coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done i am see almost exact same wording i am the alpha the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end and yeah that's a little geeky um, maybe that's not a big deal to you that's fine i just thought that was really neat and i, I, I wanted to show you that tonight for a minute um we're i encourage you read through 1 9 through 11 i'm not going to actually read them to you tonight uh, I want to read a few passages out of those uh, verses, and I want to point out a few things. Let's look at verse 12. I want to point out a few things. The first one is this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12 says, Then I turn. So John is having this revelation. Uh, he's described who this is to, who it's from, what it's about. It's, it's a revealing of Jesus Christ. And he's having this vision, and he turns in this vision to see the voice that was speaking to him. And on turning, so imagine this, picture your, your, yourself in a dream or a vision. He turns, and when he turns, he sees seven golden lampstands. So I picture this as, if you know what a menorah is, it's the lampstands that have, it's one central piece uh, trunk, and then there's other lamps that come out, and, and it's called a menorah. And I, in my mind, that's what I picture, something that stands tall, probably as tall as a man. And he turns around and he sees seven of those. Remember, we have seven churches. So before we go any further, let's just talk about this. What are those lampstands? Well, we are actually told what those lampstands are in verse 20. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John turns around. He hears a voice. He turns around. He sees the seven lampstands representing the seven churches um, in, in bef before him. And then we jump into verse 13, and it says, In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. You know who that sounds like? Sounds kind of like God or Jesus. Who's in the center of this? Who's John already told us is the central theme of this? Jesus. I want you to see this. Uh, let me let me read verse 16, then we'll, we'll jump to another area. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and in his face was like the sun shining in full strength. But here's um, what I want you to see. Um, let me read this first part of verse 13 again. And in the midst of the lampstand was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Jesus, Jesus is the center here, right? If you were with me when we did the Daniel series, we read in Daniel 7 something that sounds really familiar, really similar, something that John would have been familiar with. In Daniel 7, 9, and 10, it says, As I looked, 
Thrones were placed in the ancients of da- ancient of days. This is now God the Father. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. What's my point? My point is this. Old Testament Daniel, we see the Father, the one we would call the Father, Yahweh. We see him with the, his hair is, is like pure wool and white as snow, and we see this description. But yet when John sees the description in Revelation, he's not seeing God the Father, Yahweh. He's seeing the Son, Jesus Christ. And I believe that's put in there just so we can see the equality, we can see the power, we can see the transitions, we can see the oneness of God the Father and God the Son. And unless you're familiar with Daniel, you may miss that. I want you to see another thing that connects to Daniel. In verse 15, it says this, His feet, Jesus' feet, were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Okay, Bronze that is strong, it's refined. Uh, it's pure. I want you to contrast that tonight to something we read again back in the Daniel study in chapter 2. This was the image that, that um, Nebuchadnezzar had, had a dream of, and it was the different, it was the different um, civilizations, the different empires that would rise, uh, starting with Babylon and then going to, um, uh, it, was going, it, it would go on down, end up going to Greece and then Rome, and then ultimately it would become feet, or the last portion, and they were made out of clay. Notice that. The feet were made out of clay. We see here in verse 33, it's legs of iron, it's feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. So contrast man's civilization, man's empires, which have feet of iron and clay that are broken with this picture of Jesus. What are his feet made of? They're made of burnished bronze refined in the fire. In other words, his his empire, his uh, kingdom will not come to an end. It will not be broken. It will not become tainted. It will not be any of those things because it's burnished bronze and it is refined in the fire. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and in his face and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That's Revelation 1, 13 through 16. Let's just look at this tonight, the seven stars. It says in his hand he right hand he held seven stars. What are the stars? Remember the lampstands of the churches, the seven stars, according to verse 20, are the angels of the seven churches. In other words, Jesus holds and controls and guides and directs angels, seven angels in this instance. Each of those angels is um, connected to one of the church. I believe it is angelic protection that is directed, guided, and overseen by Jesus Christ himself. Again, encouragement. How about Revelation 1, 17 and 18? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, as you would rightly do if you saw this vision. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Who's in the center? That sure sounds like Jesus to me. As for the mystery, and this is where I want to bring this to an end tonight, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Um, verse 13, we saw this. In the midst of the lampstands, or the seven churches, was one like a son of man. And I want to end um, with this realization tonight, because unless you put this all together, it's easy to miss. John turned around and he saw this vision of one like the son of man standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. In other words, John turned around and he saw this vision of Jesus Christ and all of his power, all of his might, all of his glory standing in the midst of his churches. Uh, and, and remember, his churches aren't their organizations, it's his people, those in covenant relationship with him, standing in the midst 
of his covenant people. And in his right hand, as he stood it in the midst of his covenant people, he held the seven angels over those churches, the seven angels that were there to protect, to keep, to guide, guide to direct, and he directed them. Talk about a, a vision of power, a vision of encouragement, a vision of saying, you know what, you may feel like you're being martyred, you may feel like you're failing, you may feel like you're making no progress, you may feel like the church has been deserted, you may feel like the church has no value, but Jesus Christ still stands in the middle of his covenant people and he still protects. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what it holds for the, for, for the churches. I know a lot of churches are being horribly persecuted around this world right now. But I know this, Jesus Christ, in all his power, all his glory, always will stand in the midst of his people, of his covenant people and his churches. And I think that tonight is a great place to bring this to a close. Next week, we are going to jump into Revelation chapter 2. There's some passages if you would like to. You can go ahead and read them and get a, a little bit of, a, of an, a, head, a heads up on that. We're going to look at the first four churches that messages were sent to. And uh, we'll talk a little further about that uh, next week. Hey, love you guys. So glad you jumped onto the feed tonight. I hope out of all this, God really um, gave you something that is an encouragement, maybe something that's a challenge if there's a place where you feel like, boy, I'm just really being tempted to compromise right now. Um, so maybe that warning connects with somebody tonight. Um, but certainly above all else, it, it is a great reason to give God all the praise and give Jesus Christ all the worship that we possibly can. All of our heart, soul, mind, strength is what I've been preaching on Sundays. Hope to see you guys on Sunday. You guys have a great week, and uh, God bless, and we're praying for you always, and I uh, hope to see you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.